Amen. All right, friends, if you've got your Bibles, let's go. Psalm 90. Psalm 90. Psalm 90. It's where we've been uh, for, this is our fourth week in Psalm 90, and we have four to go. And so uh, go ahead and open your Bibles there. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's a blue one underneath the seat you're sitting in. Pull that out. Psalm 90 in the blue Bible is on page 551. 551 is Psalm 90 in the Blue Bible. Um, if you're looking in your own Bible, you can just let it fall open right to the middle. Uh, you'll probably, if you have a normal Bible, you hit Psalm, the Psalms, and you can just look for Psalm 90 there in the Psalms, okay? Psalm 90 is where we're going to be. Before we dive into Psalm 90, though, this morning, I do want to go back and correct something from last week. I said something last week. For those of you who weren't here, don't worry about this. For those of you who are here, I said something that last week was heavy, Okay. We talked about the wrath of God up in this place last week. It was, it was crazy. Um, it was a lot of fun. I just had a great time last week. It's just the best Sunday ever. Um, I said something last Sunday that um, may have been, uh, well, it was miscommunicated for sure. It may have been misreceived. Um, and I don't want that to ever happen here at Flourishing Grace. I'm sure it happens, but I don't, I don't want that to happen. Uh, what I said was this, quote, um, we've bought and sold a lie that God loves everyone implying that that's, you know, that's not true. God doesn't love everyone. Well, that's, that's not true. God, okay, God does love everyone, right? He loves the totality of his creation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? He, he loves everybody. But what I was trying to get at and what I was attacking is this, is this lie that, um, man, it's, everything's fine. God loves everybody, so therefore we don't have to worry about anything. He's going to take care of everything. And so it doesn't, how we live doesn't matter. That's not true, okay? And, and it's also not true that God loves everyone equally, right? So what I should have said was we buy and sell this lie that God loves everybody equally, and there are no consequences how we live. That's not true. God does not love everybody equally. Scripture is very clear that there is a unique and special love uh, for, for those who are in Christ. Um, and then there's also a hatred, right? And we, we talked about this last week. For, for those of you who weren't here and you're like, wait, what? Go back and listen to last week's message, right? There is a hatred for sin. And not just sin, but sinners, okay? So God does love and hates people, right, at the same time, okay? And there's a special hatred for um, the murderous, right? The, the psalm says in Psalm, psalm 5, 5 and 6, Psalm 11, 5, um, there, there's this clear hatred towards those who are uh, bloodthirsty, uh, those who, who love violence, right, as the exact words that the psalmist uses. It's this idea of those who would seek to destroy the crown jewel of God's creation, uh, humanity, right? Th- those who those who love killing humans, right? There's a special hatred for, in God for them. So I, I just wanted to make that clear. God still loves them, right? But that love is different than how he loves those who are in Christ. Um, and he, he also hates them at the same time. And so that's, that's complex, I know, and I didn't do a good job of explaining it. Um, and so I just wanted to make that a little bit more clear this morning. Is that okay? Okay. You guys going to fire me? <laughs> You can't, but if you could, it's okay. Um, if you, I could, I'll, I'll, you know, work at Starbucks. It's cool. Figure it out. All right, Psalm, Psalm ninety. Here we go. Let's go. Let's get into it. We are we are going to do ten through twelve today. Verses ten through twelve. Um, and if you are new, if all of that, what I just said, you're like, what the heck? Don't worry about it. We're gonna we're gonna recover a lot this morning. Um, we have been marching towards verse twelve for the entire past uh, three weeks now, four weeks. Um, 
Because verse 12 is kind of the, the turning point of the psalm. It's broken into these two parts, right? The first part of the psalm is all of this kind of doctrine and theology. Moses, who, who is, uh, uh, he is, he's kind of, this psalm is attributed to him, right? He, he's the one who prayed this prayer over the nation of Israel, right? Um, Moses is setting the minds and the hearts of the people in the right place. He says, I mean, you've got to know this before you can get to the next part. And so he is, he's been setting our hearts and our minds on, on, the, on the precarious condition of man, as Calvin says, right? He says, this is what's true of us, and this is what's true of God, right? So that we might get to the place where we actually engage God in the right way. And that all begins to happen at verse 12. At verse 12, it was where it shifts, and we're going to get to that today, but first we've got to do verses 10 through 11. And what Moses does in 10 and 11 is he recaps and summarizes in two verses everything that he did in the first nine verses. In two verses, he is going to summarize verses one through nine. So for those of you who have been here every single week, this will be a good little refresher before we get to verse 12. For those of you who are brand new, listen up. This is, this is, this is a great Sunday because you're going to get a full recap of everything that we've gone through before we get to kind of the next piece. Let me do this. Let me read for us verses 10 through 12 in Psalm 90. It reads this way. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. So who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. All right. Verses 10 and 11, as I said a minute ago, is a summary of verses 1 through 9. Everything that's found in verses 1 through 9 is found in verses 10 and 11. And what it is, what I said earlier, but this is what Calvin calls the precarious condition of man. It's the doctrine of the precarious condition of man. It is the condition of humanity. This is who we are, right? This is what is true of us. And you can, you can wish it's not true. You can say it's not true, but you can't make it not true. This is what's true of humanity. In verses 10 and 11, it's valuable. It's valuable to know this, to believe this, and to find rest in this. I have found over the past three weeks, we have preached some really hard things here at Flourishing Grace. And every Sunday, people come up to me like, oh, Josh, that was like, that was so good. I've had multiple people say that was the best sermon ever. I'm like, no, it's not. Listen, I just spent the past 40 minutes telling you that you have no value. Like, there's no value to your life. And you come up and you're like, that was amazing. Like, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. What's amazing is the truth. Nothing that I say. The word of God is amazing. To find genuine rest in what is true is so freeing. It flies in the face of culture, but it's so like, it's like a breath of fresh air when we actually get to sit in what is true. And so here's, here's what we've talked about, okay? And we're just going to walk through 10 and 11 kind of line by line. Here's what Moses says. He says, the years of your life, of our life, are 70. Or... Even by reason of strength, 80, right? That's the best you got. There's a finite amount of time that you have, right? Our lives are not infinite. Our lives are not forever. We have this life. It's short. It's 70 years, right? The average lifespan is 74 years, right? Um, now, some people live longer than that. Maybe by reason of strength, 80. My, my wife's grandpa is 99 years old. 99 years old. Uh, one of our lead shepherds, Bob Evans, um, 
I cannot remember if it was his, if it was his parents or his, his wife's, Maureen's parents, but they lived well into their hundreds. Well into their hundreds. That's insane, right? But, but e- either way, right, this, there's a finite number of days we have, and it's moving fast. It's moving so fast, right? When I think back to uh, when we moved to Utah uh, seven years ago, I moved to Utah. That period of time seems so short. It's like a blip. It's like, like it was yesterday. When I think back to things that were happening 10 years ago, the past 10 years of my life seem so quick, so fast. I mean, so fleeting. It's just it's insane how quickly my life is moving by. And then you begin to think, okay, if, if that past 10 years is like a breath, it's like, it's just boom, it's gone, right? And this is how Moses says it. The years of your life, he says, are like a flood. They're just, boom, there's washing away. They're, they're, like, um, they're like a dream, right? You have this amazing dream, and then you wake up, and it's over. You can't get back to it. It's gone. He says it's like grass. It's, it grows. It springs up today, and then by, by the next day, and then the heat of the sun, it withers, and it's gone. James says it's like a mist, like a vapor. By the moment it comes into existence, it's fleeting. And so I think back to the past 10 years of my life, and I see it, it's like a breath that's just gone, right? And then I think about, okay, I have, I've got seven of those total. And I've, I'm, I'm, I'm almost four in. I'm almost 40 years old. I've already spent four of those, and I've only got three left. Like, that's all, that's all I've got, and it's, it's over. That's it. Like, I'm already almost halfway there. It's moving so fast. It's moving so quick. And so what do we do with this? What do we do with this? There, there's pain in this. We talked about this, right? That's a painful thought to think, oh my gosh, I will never hear the laughter of my three-year-old ever again. That, that, that time's over. I'll never experience the joy of, of these relationships that I had in this place ever again. That time's over. The things that I experienced back there in the future, it's over, right? What, what do we do when we, when we begin to exp- think and realize, man, life is short, we push it out of our minds. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to engage it. I don't want to, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to feel the weight of that. I don't want to feel the pressure and the pain that comes along with that. And so what we do is we spend our days mentally in the future. Think about all these things that we're going to do. We have so much time. Don't, don't think about how short your life is. You've got so much time. 30 years is like a lifetime. Think about all the things you're going to do and achieve and accomplish and become. Right? Oh, it's, it's, it's so much time. Don't think about that. Or we think about all the things in the past, all those good things, those good memories, right? For those of us who don't have very many years left, right? we think about the past, all those great times and all those great days. We never actually just rest in the moment. Pascal, the French mathematician and philosopher and theologian in the 1500s said it this way, and we read this a couple weeks ago. I'm going to read it again. He says, we never keep to the present. We recall the past and we anticipate the future. As if we found it too slow in coming, and we're trying to hurry it up. Or we recall the past as if to stay its too rapid flight. We are so unwise that we wander about in times that do not belong to us. And do not think of the only one that does. So vain that we dream of times that are not, and blindly flee the only one that is. The fact is that the present usually hurts. And you've got to stomach that. You've got to swallow that pill, friends. The present usually hurts. We thrust it out of sight because it distresses us. And if we find it enjoyable, we're sorry to see it slip away. 
We try to give it the support of the future. And think about how we are going to arrange things over which we have no control for a time we can never be sure of reaching. Thus, Pascal says, we never actually live but hope to live. And since we are always planning how to be happy, it is inevitable that we should never be. Right? I said it this way a few weeks ago, right? When you're born, you have a bank account. 27,000 coins, right? That's how many days, 70 years, 27,000 days, okay? 27,000 coins in the bank, right? But you can't spend them. You get one every day. And so every day you get this coin. But what we do is we think about all the coins we have left in the bank and what we're going to do with all these coins. It's going to be amazing. Or we think about all the ones that we've spent well. Not the ones we spent poorly, the ones we spent well. I mean, remember these great memories and these great things we did with our family or with our kids, with our grandkids, all of these things that we've done, right? We never actually think, what am I going to do with the only one that I have? Therefore, we never actually live well because we're consumed with what we've already done or what we're going to do. We never stay in the present because it hurts What Moses is trying to get us to see is that life is temporary. 70, maybe 80 years, it's temporary, and it's moving so fast. This is important to understand. We have a finite amount of time. And for those of you who who think, no, 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 I will live to be 100. It's in my my genes, man. Like my grandparents, my great-grandparents, everybody's living to 100. Like, listen, even if you do, even if you do, look at what he says next. Their span, the span of our years, is but toil and trouble. Even if you do, all you will have is toil and trouble. Again, Moses is reiterating what he's already said. He says there, you cannot add meaning, you cannot add purpose, you cannot add value to your days. Each one of us is born with, with, a, with, a, with a limited purpose, a limited amount of worth, right? We, are, we have worth, right? We are created in the image of God. And yet that image, the Imago Dei, the image of God, is broken and it's fractured by sin. It was broken and fractured near the beginning of humanity when Adam and Eve first sinned. The Imago Dei is broken, it's fractured. Now there's still worth there. God still looks upon you as this broken and fractured creature with his, still bearing a broken resemblance of his image. There's still some worth there, right? But you cannot add value to that. We spend our days, humanity knows, you don't have to be a follower of Jesus to know that I don't have full worth and I still don't have full value. There's something missing. Our culture knows this. And so we spend our days trying to add worth and trying to add value and trying to add meaning and trying to add purpose to our lives, but you can't. You can't do it. Our culture says you got to wake up in the morning, you need to speak affirmations over yourself. You look in the mirror and you tell yourself, you can do it. You can achieve it. You, you, you can, you are great. You already have. You already, you've already done it all. This week, I looked up some of these affirmations. There are a lot of them. One list on Google had like over a hundred of these affirmations that you're supposed to speak. I mean, it's a lot of time in front of the mirror, okay? It's a long, it's a long you better wake up early to get this in. I'm going to read to you the first 10 that I found. Number one, I create a safe and secure space for myself wherever I am. Do you really, though? Like, if I put you in the field of battle, do you create a safe space for yourself wherever you, wherever you are? If somebody's breaking in your house, do you create a safe space for yourself wherever you are? 
You see, it doesn't work. It, it, it doesn't work. The moment you step outside of your door, there are people who are going to cut you off in traffic. There are things that are going to happen to you. Your boss might get angry at you. A coworker might talk about you behind your back. How? How are you creating a safe space for yourself wherever you are? You're not. You're just, you're just not. You can't, you can't do it. We wake up in the morning. We lie to ourselves. Number two, I give myself permission to do what is right for me. Right? Whatever is right for me. I give myself permission to do what's right for me. I know that the building is on fire and I know that there are people inside, but I give myself permission to do what's right for me. And certainly going in there is not right for me. So, so I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give myself permission to do what's right for me. Really? Is that, is that what we're going to do? I'm confident in my ability to fill in the blank. Whatever it is, I know I can do it. I can know I can achieve it. I fill in the blank. I'm, I, am, I am confident in my ability to, if as long as I just can speak it, they must make it. All right, anyways. I use my time and my talents to help others. Do, do you, though? Like, just because you say you do, like, what did you do? Show me. What did you do? Like, I don't just say that. What did you do? What I love about myself is my ability to fill in the blank. I feel proud of myself when I fill in, fill in the blank. I give myself space to grow and learn. I listen to my intuition and trust my inner guide Good for you. Good for you, Buzz. Trust that inner voice, Buzz. Um, I, give, I give myself the care and attention that I deserve. I deserve care. And I deserve attention. And even though nobody else is going to give it to me because they don't believe that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to myself. Because I'm going to convince myself that it's true. Now, now listen to me. I, what Moses is saying here is not, he's not saying hate yourself, Okay? It's not what's going on here. Moses is not saying, wake up in the morning, look at yourself in the mirror and say, you're an idiot, okay? You are dumb. You can't do That's not what he's saying. That's not, no, don't, don't do that. That's not what's happening here, okay? That's not what's going on. But it is far more healthy and far more loving to be honest with yourself rather than to lie to yourself. It's far more helpful to be honest with yourself and to live in reality than to wake up in the morning, look in the mirror, and to lie to yourself in order to make yourself feel better. It, n- nothing that's actually value, ne- valuable needs to be convinced that it's valuable. If I had a block of gold, like a genuine like bar of gold sitting up here on this table, and I said, you are beautiful, you are shiny, you are valuable, you can buy things, right? you all look at me like, what is wrong with that man? Why? Because everybody knows it's valuable. Everybody knows it's shiny. Everybody knows you can buy things with it. You don't have to speak worth over it because it's worth something. If you have to speak worth over it, it's probably not worth it. You wake up in the morning, you lie to yourself. That's, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't do that. You convince yourself that your day is going to be good and it's going to be great and you're going to get it done. Moses says, no. It's going to be filled with toil and trouble. Or more literally in the Hebrew, the word is inconvenience and afflictions. There are things that are going to happen to you today that are inconvenient. There are things that are going to happen to you today that are going to be hard. You're going to have to get over that. But our culture says don't think about that. Don't believe that. Listen, when you were a kid, okay, anybody, anybody's parents ever read them the story, Little Red Riding Hood? Sure. Yeah, sure. What happened to grandma? What? She got eaten. 
right? The big bad wolf eats her. Now, if you go to the bookstore today, right now, you leave here, you go to the bookstore, and you get Little Red Riding Hood, do you know what happens to Grandma? She gets put in the closet, passes out. They find her later. She's fine. You think it's funny? I'm serious. That's what happened. Because we don't want to teach kids that life is hard, and that if a wolf is in the house with Grandma, she's going to get eaten, okay? We don't want our kids to know that life is hard, that they're going to be faced with afflictions and inconveniences. We don't want them to know that. Everybody's going to get a trophy, right? Doesn't matter how hard you try. Doesn't matter how hard you work. Everybody's going to get a trophy, and everybody's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. You are insulated. You are protected. You are safe. I create a safe space for you wherever you are. No, you do not, and you can't. Your days will be filled with inconveniences, and they will be filled with afflictions. This is just the truth of it. Why can we not swallow that pill? Why do we have to lie to ourselves? Now, even if you could, let's just pretend for a moment that you could, you could make $100 billion. You buy yourself a private island, and you, buy, and you hire all these people, and there's 100 people on the island, and all they do is serve you and just remove your afflictions and move your, remove your inconveniences, remove your toil, remove your trouble, and you just live in utopia and bless for the rest of your days. It's not likely, but let's just say you did it. Look what Moses says happens next. Even if you could, they are soon gone and we fly away. Even if you could, even if you, even if you, get, even if you could get it done, which you can't, it's all gone. Right? We view life as a line. You're born here and you live and you work and you work and you work and you acquire and you buy and you find all these things. You add all this value to your life and then over here you die. But Moses says that's not how it works. Right, the language that he uses is he says, you return men to the dust. You say, return, O man. That's verse 3, okay? He, in, verse, in Psalm 90. We start here. The Bible says our life's more like a circle. You begin here, and you work, and you work, and you work, and it's toil and trouble and affliction and inconvenience, and you come right back to where you begin. You add no value. And even if you could find that private island, and everything is great, and everything is gravy, you're still going to come right back to where everybody else is going to come. You return man to the dust, right? This Wednesday is, is Ash Wednesday. For those of you who maybe grew up in a church that recognizes the church calendar, like we do here at Flourishing Grace, um, Ash Wednesday is an important day. Where traditionally, right, there's a, there's a gathering that's held, a service, a mass that's held, and, and, and people come in, and the pastor, the priest, puts a, puts a mark of ash on their forehead, right? And when that happens, the pastor, the priest, looks at them and says, remember, you are dust, and to dust you will return. For 40 days, leading to Easter, that is to be the posture of the church, which is why we are doing this right now when we are doing it. That you might gain a heart of wisdom, that you might remember that you are dust, and to dust you will return. No matter what you find, buy, acquire, achieve, create, build, you are dust, and to dust you will return. There is value in knowing that and swallowing that, and accepting that. Remember you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The next thing Moses says in verse 11, right, moving on to verse 11, he says, who considers, he asks a question, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? And this is what we talked about last week, right? It was heavy, I said that. Who considers this, right? What person... All of these people who are living these, these meaningless lives, trying to achieve meaningless things, all of these people who are, who are trying to remove all the toil and trouble, which one of them is considering the power of your anger? Which one is considering 
what lies out there at the end of their days. A holy and blameless God who will judge each one according to their own works. Romans 2. Right? Who is considering that? Who is spending their days thinking on that? The answer? Nobody. Very few people are actually living their lives thinking about that. Because we don't want to. That's horrifying. I don't want to engage in that thought. I don't want to be there. I don't, I don't want to think about that. No one is doing that. Um, Pascal, again, um, in the Pantheist de Pascal, Pascal says this. He says, we run heedlessly into the abyss after putting something in front of us to stop us from seeing it. I love that. I, I love that quote, right? It makes me think of like an old, old school cartoon or, or a new cartoon. Have you seen... Uh, my kids watch the show. It's called, called Grizzly and the Lemmings. Anybody? No? Praise the Lord. You don't, don't, don't worry about it. It's, it. it's making them dumber every day, okay? It is like the new school version of Wile E. Coyote and the Roadrunner. There's no words. Nobody says anything. It's just grunts and clicks and it's dumb. It's, okay? it's, it's horrible, right? And there's constantly just like beating each other, right? It's like Wile E. Coyote and the Roadrunner chasing each other, trying to catch each other, and just horrible things are happening to them right, the entire time. And my kids just like sit there and just laugh at their pain, right? I don't know what's happening to them. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be bad. Um, but here's what I picture in my mind is this idea of like the, the, the person driving off a cliff in a cartoon and the antagonist, right? The, the, the roadrunners put this sign up so they don't even realize they're driving off a cliff and they're just like watching the sign, right? But what, what Pascal is saying is what Moses said is that we're the ones putting up the sign, we put up the sign. Like, look, look at this, this Netflix show you can binge. Look at the 24-7 news you can watch. Look at the endless YouTube videos you can scroll through. Look at all of the, the hobbies you can have. Look at all of this meaningless stuff as we run heedlessly off the, off the into the abyss. Into the waiting arms of a holy God who hates our sin and who will repay each one according to what they have done. Don't think about it. Just bury your mind. Just bury your mind in other things. Here's how Calvin puts it. John Calvin, the great theologian, says, So long as God withholds his hand, men wantingly leap about like runaway slaves who are no longer afraid at the sight of their master, nor can their rebellious nature be reduced to obedience in any other way than by his striking them with his fear in judgment. When we don't think about this, we do the dumbest things, is what Calvin is saying. We just live our lives however we want to live them. There, there's just dumb stuff. He goes on, he says, the meaning then is this, speaking of Psalm 90, he says, that willis God hides himself, and so to speak, disassembles, disassembles like removes or, or, or hides his displeasure, men are inflated with pride and rush upon sin with reckless Impetu impetuosity, yes, yeah, um, quickly, that's what he says. Um, but, when, but when they are compelled to feel how dreadful his wrath is, they forget their loftiness and are reduced to nothing. They remember when, when we can, are confronted with the truth of who God is, his holiness, his might, his wrath towards sin, his hatred for sin, we are reduced to dust. Remember, you are dust, and to dust you will return. So friends, this is where we have been over the past three and a half weeks now. In summary, there is a great danger in three things. Number one, believing that life is long. 
believing that you can add value and worth and meaning and purpose to your life. And three, that there are no consequences for how you live out your short, meaningless days. Okay? That's what we've talked about for the past three and a half weeks now. Okay? There is great danger in believing that life is long, you can add value to it, and there is no consequence in how you live it out. Okay? Now, if you haven't picked up on it, for those of you who've been around, what Moses is describing in those three things, okay, is the curse of sin. It's what it is, okay? When Adam and Eve sin in the garden, three things happen. Death enters in. There was no death before that. Suddenly our days are numbered. It's short, it's fleeting, it's moving fast, okay? That wasn't true before. That was not true before sin, okay? Um, our meaning and worth and value are broken. The Imago Dei, we talked about it earlier. The image of God in us is broken and it's fractured. Our, our meaning and our worth and the, the, the amount to which we can add value to our days and purpose is limited, okay? And we've been longing to add more to it ever since. Um, trouble and toil have entered into that, right? This idea of men and women having trouble and toil, inconveniences and affliction, right? And then lastly, lastly, that there is a punishment, an end to our sin. That God, God will execute his wrath on all sin, right? All of that's written in the curse. It's, it's, all, it's all there. Now, question. What do you have and what do I have that Moses did not have? Yes, the Sunday school answer will do. Jesus, okay? Jesus, not that we we have Jesus. And Jesus, in his death and resurrection, puts an end to all three of those things, right? Why did Jesus come? I've come that they may have what? Life and have it abundantly, right? Yes, right now. That begins now, that we might have a flourishing existence right now in this moment, but also it's eternal life, right? Eternal life is why he came, that we might have eternal life in Christ, right? And so while our days, yes, are numbered, and we must believe that, we must recognize that, for those of of us who are in Christ, and I know not everybody in the room is, and not everybody watching online is, for those of us who are in Christ, we have eternity on this side of our days, right? We have an eternal time to explore the new heavens and the new earth. Eternity awaits us. Our worth and our value, Christ takes all of the dust on the cross and he cleanses it. He washes it white as wool and pure as snow. He turns the dust to gold. He ascribes to us infinite worth, infinite value. His own worth and his own value. When the God of all things looks upon us, all that is in Christ is ascribed to us and we, have, we are made a new people, a new creation in Christ of infinite worth. We are adopted as heirs to the throne with Christ. We're sons and daughters of the Most High God in Christ because of his work on the cross. We have infinite worth. We have infinite value. And there is a time coming when all the toil and all of the effort and all of the inconveniences will be removed from us. They will be no more because of the work of Christ. And then lastly, all of the wrath of God for our sin is placed on Christ. He takes all of my sin, past sin, my present sin, and my future sin, and he places it on himself, and he bears the full wrath of God for that. And he clothes me, he wraps me in his own righteousness. I have been given the righteousness of Christ. 
And so on, on, at the end of my days, when, Christ, when God looks upon me to judge my sin, he sees the righteousness of Christ. All of that, all of this that Moses is talking about, all that finds its end in Jesus. I love Jesus. That's amazing. It, it, it is amazing. It's the only place where all of those things find their end. There is no other way that you can escape any of those things other than Christ. However, at the same time, it is still possible for those of us who are in Christ to bury our heads in the sand and say, I don't want to think about this anymore. Even, even those who have eternity waiting for us, we're like, I don't know. I don't, I'm afraid of dying. I don't want to think about it. I just, I just, want to, just want to bury my head in the sand. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about why I'm facing this affliction and why I'm facing this trouble. I don't want to think about the consequences of sin. I don't want to think about God being angry. I don't, I don't want to deal with that. So we need what comes next. And this is what Moses says in verse 12. And this is what we've been marching towards, okay? Here's verse 12. He says, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. So. That first word in verse 12, so. Right, is casting the audience back to verses 1 through 11. Given all of that, given everything that we just prayed, all of this, all right, this time that we spent setting our hearts and our minds on what is right and true, the precarious condition of man, right, given all of that, who our God is and who we are, right, given all of that, teach us. He cries out to God, this is the first of five or six imperative requests, right? No, normally in, in Scripture, right, in, in, in English language, we have the imperative commands. Do this, do that. I need you to teach me, right? It's an imperative. Teach us. It's not like, hey, if you have time later, um, if you're not busy, could you possibly teach? No, it's like I, it, what Moses is realizing here is his true desperation for God to teach us. I can't do this without you. I see who I am. I see who you are. I see my condition before you. And so teach me. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. If I could reframe that verse in my own words, right, kind of, kind of turning it back on itself, it says this. If we are going to get a heart of wisdom, we need to live with a right perspective of everyday life. In order for this to happen, we need God to teach us to number our days. And this is what Moses is crying out to. He says, teach me to number our days. Right? Our culture refuses to do this. Our culture says, bury your head in Netflix. Bury your head in sports. Bury your head in 24-7 news. Just don't think about it. But what Moses says, I see my desperation to be taught. And I will not do this on my own. You will not. You, you will not. Even as a follower of Jesus, you will not. This must be incorporated into our prayer every day. This is the first one. There's going to be five or six of these over the next uh, four weeks, okay? This is the first one. Teach me to number my days. I can't do it on my own. Father, I need you. Teach me to number my days. I will not do this on my own. I need you to show me that we may get a heart of wisdom. Without the God-given ability to number our days, we will not walk in wisdom. Which we will not. If you try to number your days on your own, apart from him, you will not walk in wisdom. Okay? 
We need him to teach us to number our days so that we might get a heart of wisdom. What is this heart of wisdom? What does that mean to have a heart of wisdom? Right? Wisdom changes the way we live out our days. Okay? It changes the way we now, now, culture does have this. Okay? Culture does have a wisdom when it comes to numbering our days. If you try to number your days on your own, you will arrive at something different than not doing this, okay? Uh, culture says what you need, right? If you number your days and you think about how fast life is moving and, and, and all this, like, what you need is a bucket list, right? Because there's some things you got to get done before you, before you kick the bucket, right? Um, and so we need to, we need to go skydiving. We need to go Rocky Mountain climbing. We need to, get, need to go 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. Like we got to get it done, right? There's a limited amount of time, friends, and you got you to get those, those are important things, but when God teaches you to number your days, it's a little bit different than that. It's a little bit. Now, I'm not knocking a bucket list. I think you should have a bucket list. You should, you should do fun things. There are things in, in this old world that, that are a delight and, and are worthy to be seen, okay? And they're worthy to do. Listen, a little claim to fame. I've ridden a bull for eight seconds, suckers, right? A real bull. I know I look skinny, but I'm scrappy. I can hold on, okay? I can get it done. Done it been there. Take it off the list. But here's what happens when God teaches us to number our days. When the God of all things begins to give us a heart of wisdom, there's, 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 there's an element to this, right? When the world says, yes, life is short. Yes, I can't add more meaning and value, so I just got to live it up, okay? I got to have as much fun as I can. But what God says is, don't forget me. Don't forget who stands at the end of your days, Okay? And suddenly, there are things that begin to creep up that bucket list that are far more important. There are things that take precedent. Everybody's bucket list, you have things at the top, you're like, I've got to get this done. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. There's things at the bottom that just like aren't that important, right? If you, if you never kiss the Blarney Stone, it's like, okay, I mean, it's fine. I probably get COVID from that anyways. I don't, I don't need to do that. It's fine. Just don't, don't worry about that one. But if it happens, that'd be cool, right? It'd be a cool thing to do. Um, but... As God teaches us in our days, there are things that creep up the list. There's probably, probably many things, but I'm going to give you two, right? Number one is this. The, the number one thing that creeps up the list is this. Our relationship with Jesus. When my eyes close in death, the first thing that they will open to is him. And in that moment, I want to see my best friend. I want to see the one that I know that I have spent my years with, increasing my love for, increasing my affection towards. I want to see the one that I know, and I want him to see the one that he knows. And this is important. Don't, don't miss this, right? Because in, in that day, in, in that moment, not everybody who thinks they're a follower of Jesus is going to open their eyes to somebody whom he knows, right? Jesus says this in Matthew 7. Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, right? Not, not, everybody's, not everybody's getting it, right? They're going to look at him and they say, there you are. I've done all of these things for you. I've, I've, I've served. I've read my Bible. I go to church. I do all these things for you. I help old ladies across the street. I do it all, right? I'm, I'm that guy. And Jesus says, yeah, but I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, he says. I never, I never knew you. And so for those of us who, who are taught by God to number our days, we'll love Jesus more. 
And when our eyes close in death, they will awaken to our best friend. And you'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Because we've been taught to number our days by the God of all things. Number two, we will realize this is true for other people in our lives. There will be an increased desperation within us for other people in our lives to know Jesus in that way. Because we realize that their lives are short, their lives are fleeting, their days are numbered. And as we realize this, there's a hunger that increases within us. It says, Jesus, I, I need you. I need you to rescue them. I need you. We want, to, we want, we want heaven to be more crowded. i got to get more people there. My neighbors are more valuable to me. My, my friends are more valuable to me. My spouse is more valuable to me. And even though I can't, listen, I can't add any more value to my life, and they can't add any more value to my life, I know the one that can. And I want them to know him. I want them to know Jesus. And I want them to know Jesus fully, not, not, to, not to serve him by doing more and busying their lives. No, I want, their, I want them to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from their lives that they might rest in him and truly actually know him, to be found in him. That when their eyes close in death, they too will open to their best friend. Calvin, again, John Calvin says this. He says, no man can regulate his life with a settled mind. You just can't do it. But... He who, knowing the end of it, that is to say death, is led to consider the great purpose of man's existence in this world. That he may aspire after the prize of the heavenly calling. Not temporary, not in this life, not on my bucket list here, but there. That's that's the man who numbers his days. That's the man who is taught by God to number his days, right? I, I, I wrestle with death. I find rest in it. Right now, our culture says, no, 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 no. No funerals. Don't do funerals, right? Celebration of life, right? Let's get drunk and remember the good times. Let the champagne flow. Let's tell good stories. Nothing about it. And again, I'm all about it, man. I'm all about celebrating life. But there is value and recognizing it is sin that has brought the end of this person's life to an end. Their days were numbered, and so are mine. And at the end of those days, at the end of that toil and trouble, is a holy God, and I want him to know me, and I want to know him. I want to be cleansed in Christ, I want to be found in Christ, and be clothed in Christ for all of my days. Teach us to number our days, that we may get that heart of wisdom. Friends, let's do this. Uh, rather than closing us in prayer, I'm going to invite you to close in prayer. If you just bow your heads with me, we're just going to pray that prayer. If you feel comfortable with it, Father, teach, teach me to number my days that I may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. I want you to pray that prayer. And just for a moment, I want to give you a minute to pray that and just sit and listen. What is God stirring within you? What is he calling you to? What's, what's he calling, what, what resolutions is he calling you to make today? What's he stirring you to? What affections is he stirring in you? What's he bringing up that, on that list? Just take a moment where you are to pray, to be still, to be quiet, to listen. And in a minute, we'll sing one last song together.